well, for our message today. It's often in our evangelical fervor to get people saved that we loudly proclaim to them that salvation is completely free, that it does not cost them anything at all to receive Jesus as their Savior. And that is so very true, so very, very true. But then as we who have had the Lord Jesus as our Savior for a while well know, salvation, that moment in time when we receive Christ as our Savior, is only the beginning point. It's only stepping in the doorway of that journey that we'll walk with Him. And we need to know and we need to make others to know that along that pathway that we walk with Him, there really will be a cost then. There will be a cost and it will be sometimes heavy. But that's after our salvation. In this passage that I'll read for us in a moment, that's the plainly spoken message that the Lord had to some of his disciples as he spoke with them about the coming days of their relationship with him. That the next steps of their walk could and would probably quickly begin to demand a cost of them. Listen to these words. This is Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But that man said, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go back and bid them farewell who are in my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now may I say again, clearly that the salvation that the Lord Jesus gives to us truly is completely free. His sacrifice and his precious blood paid all that our debt required of us to have eternal salvation. All that he requires of you and me is to believe in him by faith, believe in him and to receive him. We know those words from John chapter 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So then with our simple response of our believing in him and receiving him into our hearts, we are then eternally saved. But again, that's not all that takes place. Salvation is only that beginning step of our relationship with the Lord. From those very first moments then, we'll begin to realize that this new eternal relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus has another step, has another step beyond our salvation, that there is so much more. And that next step is what our Bible scholars refer to as lordship. Lordship. As I read through these Gospels, we can't help but clearly see that Jesus is most often referred to as being the Lord. Meaning that he's not only Christ our Savior. He is not only Christ your Savior. He is Christ my Lord. He is Christ your Lord. The Lord Jesus 
And by the simplest definition of the title Lord, we know that a Lord is a person who has authority, who has control, who has power over us. And we need to acknowledge that. And so, while our salvation truly is full and free, the Lordship that comes quickly on the heels of our salvation, it does have some requirements of us. Within our newfound salvation, we find that real changes then begin to take place within our souls. Changes that begin to pull and to draw and compel our desires and habits and behaviors to be different. Different from the way that they once were before our salvation. And folks, that is a very good thing. That is a very good thing. But while it's good, it is also at the same time a very difficult thing. It's difficult because this sin nature that once lived within us and controlled most everything about us before we were saved has been cast aside. And our old sinful nature, our old sinful nature does not like that. And it fights back, inciting our old nature that still some of the remnants remain within us, inciting that old nature with what these scriptures call a war within our members, a war taking place within our members. And while war may sound a bit overstated, it really isn't. It really isn't. It has all of those miseries of a war, an ongoing war that rages moment by moment between our old sinful flesh and the new presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's a war that we're not accustomed to fighting, and we don't know how to do that, making that very difficult for us. Listen to how the Lord words this. Galatians chapter 5, first. Galatians 5, 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then in Romans chapter 7. These are words that I've read to us on several occasions, familiar to us. But they speak very plainly of this war. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. There the Apostle Paul just cries out in misery saying, I do not understand my own actions. For what I do not want, that I do. I do the very thing that I hate. So now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. That old remnant of the sinful flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is this sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then thankfully he says, thanks be to God, it's through Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, our salvation is truly wonderful, but it does bring with it some of the greatest struggles 
and changes within our souls. Changes that demand that we begin to think and to do so many of the things of daily life differently in ways that we have never done them before. But dear friends, those changes and those battles are not easy, but they're very, very necessary. And I know that each of you suffer them probably on a daily basis. And you should. You should. That's what Scripture is saying. But those changes that God is drawing you to make within your life, they're so very necessary. That's because God is a very jealous God. And he's very righteous. And he wants and he desires and even demands that we walk through our daily life very differently from the way that we once did. That we turn away from those former ways and we begin to follow after the Lord Jesus and his ways. And yes, his ways are very, very different from the ways that we once walked. Those crooked and perverse ways of the world that we were so comfortable And so accustomed to following. In our salvation, as the newly indwelling Holy Spirit begins to take charge of our thoughts and behaviors, words like these in Isaiah 55, they begin to call out within us saying, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. By the way, that's where sin starts, with your thoughts. James chapter 1, it says, it begins with a thought back here. And then you let it dwell. And if you let it dwell very long, it will turn into sin. And so he said, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then he says these words, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Before we were saved, words like this, thoughts like this, never entered our minds. Why? It's because we don't think as he thinks. And then also, unfortunately, even after we are saved, our mind will still often journey off in those wrong directions. And too often, we'll let those old ways of the flesh and the world grab control back over our thoughts and our desires. But folks, listen, this is a truth. Immediately upon receiving Jesus as our Savior, His Spirit came to live within us. And when He did that, He began to make changes. The Holy Spirit says to us, come and follow the Lord Jesus. And within our newfound salvation, the Holy Spirit puts this mysterious want to within us. John Wesley is famous for saying that that's what takes place when you and I receive Christ as our Savior. He puts a want to within our hearts. And we begin to want to follow Him. We begin to see that it's better than that way that we were. But also though, and unfortunately as I said a moment ago, our flesh does not want to just lie down and submit itself willingly. And therein that war rages for our soul that we read about there in Romans chapter 7, that battle between our flesh and our spirit. Now here in these scripture passages that we're studying today, we can see that battle taking place. These followers of Christ that are spoken about here, they were experiencing a conflict taking place within them. Yes, they were walking with him and yes, they wanted to, 
but that warfare within their soul was strong and it was clever. Note here in these words that the arguments that were being put forth by the flesh were simple and they were logical and they sounded very innocent. These were caring family matters that these followers of Christ were giving here. These were caring family matters that seemed even to be the exact thing that a caring family member should do. And for some of these words, they might seem that the Lord Jesus even seems unreasonable in what he says to them. Listen to these words again, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed along the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me go back and bid them farewell who are in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand at the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Folks, when God wants to strongly emphasize one of his truths, he often expresses it three times. And here Jesus did exactly that. He emphasized this deep and difficult truth by expressing it three times in three different ways. That following him was very often deep and difficult and would bring suffering, but it would require that each deny themselves, to deny all that self would demand of them. And why denial of self? Why do we have to deny self? And the Lord Jesus tells us to do that. Why is that so important? It's because self is our first and our most powerful other God. Let me say that again. Self is our first and most powerful other God that we bow to. And we bow to it every minute of every day. Self is that same God that Adam and Eve erected when they denied the one true God and chose to follow their own leadership, to follow their own sense of knowledge and worth. Folks, self is our first and most powerful God. On a similar occasion in Matthew 16, Jesus told a man, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he said, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Folks, before our salvation, our soul was completely controlled by self. And our self is a very powerful taskmaster. It demands things of us. But then with our salvation, we are no longer under the power and the control of that taskmaster. You and I are now completely free from its demands. Jesus told us that. He said, if if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And if we are free indeed, then you and I need to begin to live as if we're free. We're no longer to submit to the demands of our old God of self. We're to deny self. Now, here in these three encounters with Jesus, we find men who were sincere. They were sincere. And they wanted to follow Jesus. 
But then other more common and ordinary matters of daily life seem to stand in their way. And that's the way it often is with you and me. They're common, ordinary matters of our daily life that get in our way. As we consider the first of these three men. Now, while the idea of following Jesus is so very appealing because it truly does bring with it great rewards. Those rewards will often not take place in the way and in the timing that we might desire. We don't want to wait on God's timing. He says, tarry with me for a while. But we don't want to tarry with him for a while. We want what we want now. And to follow the Lord Jesus really does mean that we'll need to give up our love for, as he says here in the scriptures, this world and the things of this world. Let me read these words from 1 John chapter 2. He tells us there, he says, Love not the world, neither the things of this world. For if any man loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of this world. And the world passes away, and the lusts thereof. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. Now this first man declared, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. The fact is, folks, whenever we choose to follow Jesus, we really are probably choosing to give up most of those usual comforts of this world. Those bigger and better homes or nicer jobs or nicer cars. And especially the praises and honor and the accolades that we get from our friends. Now, yes, sometimes God might return some of those to us. But usually never before we have given them over to him. Now, the second man has concerns for his family. Listen to this. Then he says to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, this man's request seemed very reasonable. And Jesus' response sounded almost harsh. Most people would probably criticize Jesus' response. But remember, Jesus was able to know the heart, the mind, and the very thoughts of every person that he encountered. He knew what was in this man's mind. He could easily perceive deception taking place within any person's mind. Even those deceptions that the people themselves don't even know that they are experiencing. Deceptions that are put there, again, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And usually those deceptions don't require us to abandon Christ altogether, to reject Him. All they need to do is to accomplish the one thing, and that is just to put Him off for a while. To put Him in a second position behind whatever is in front of us that we want to do. In this case, the needs of this man's family. And that's such a very easy deception to fall victim to. And we need to always know with a certainty in circumstances like this, as we would encounter them, that God himself is trustworthy, that he had not leave our families completely without the help that they need. God has a personal relationship taking place with each and every person at the same moment in time. 
And he's dealing with each one of us. He was dealing with that young man. He was dealing with that father. No one is being ignored at any time by God and by his directions and decisions for us. Taking care of a sick and dying father is not a wrong thing to do. It's not. But it, it must not be done to the exclusion of our love for the Lord Jesus and our following after him. We need not listen. We need not completely abandon one for the other. That really seldom ever takes place. We think it does, but we don't need to abandon one for the other because it isn't necessary. Both can be done rightly if they're done in God's way, and He is always reaching His hand in to guide us in the right direction. And again, God knows our hearts and He knows our thoughts. He knows when we're putting someone, ourselves or our family members or our friends, before him. And let me emphasize how we can put friends before him. We don't want to embarrass our friends. Or we don't want to be embarrassed in front of our friends. And so we go with them. And we walk their pathway with them. We do that with our families. We do that with our friends. Listen to these words. On another occasion, Jesus said to someone, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words. Words that most people, I, have had difficult with over the years. They sound harsh, but listen, they're only harsh if we don't know the loving and gracious heart of God. These words were not harsh. Yes, they were difficult and they were demanding. But in truth, they simply define the measure of commitment of a relationship that we must have with Christ as compared to those relationships that we have with our family members. And he must always be first. The commandments clearly tell us, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And though we might quibble about whether or not that's of that magnitude or not, as I said a moment ago, any time that we let anything rule over our thinking over and above the direction that we know that God would have us to go, then we have made that other thing a kind of God. And that really cannot be allowed. That cannot be allowed. Jesus said to this man, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and you preach the kingdom of God. Now, we only have these words. And with these, we can't know for sure all of the facts that are left unspoken in that brief exchange. Simply knowing and trusting, though, that the heart of God is always pure and it's always generous in all matters, we can then make a trustworthy assumption that he was aware of the matters that made it unnecessary, unnecessary for this man to go back and bury his father. And you and I need to always be willing to make those loving assumptions about God. That we're going to trust Him over and above our own thoughts. Leaning not to our own understanding, but trusting in Him instead. He truly is always loving and kind and generous and trustworthy. Even and especially when things don't go the way we want them to go. And when we can't understand His ways in a matter. Folks, that's the essence and the necessity of faith. Believing and trusting what God is saying and doing and guiding 
when we can't easily see the pathway that's ahead of us. Now this third man, he wanted to go and say goodbye to his family. Listen. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are in my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now again, we must always know that Jesus is able to perceive the deepest thoughts and the desires of anyone and everyone that he spoke to. And that would be so with this man. Reluctance to surrender. Reluctance to surrender. Everything that we are and everything we want to be can be dangerous to our souls. Lot's wife, you'll recall. Lot's wife wanted to escape the fire and the brimstone and sure death that was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. But her heart was still back there. It was still tied to those things of her daily life and all that those things provided to her. And so she turned back. And as she turned, you'll recall, it cost her her life. And most likely, it cost her her eternity. And when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land, God had them erect monuments. They were stones of remembrance to remind them in the future that they should never go back into the wilderness that they had come out of. And folks, you and I must never look back to those days and to that lifestyle that we once knew as unbelievers. Back there in that lifestyle truly is only death and destruction. God's ways are not easily understandable. As we read a moment ago, His ways are not our ways. But His ways, listen, His ways are always trustworthy and they are always good. One writer expresses the manner with which God sometimes ministers to us by using the words, kindly he unkindly. In other words, God inserts his great and powerful hand into our life. And with that, he will often kindly, unkindly cause things to take place that we really wish would not take place. But it's often through suffering and discipline that God very kindly, unkindly, uses some of the most difficult of circumstances of life and suffering to bring about His divine plan and His will for us. And again, everything God does is always good, always truly kind, and always trustworthy. Let me close with these words. These are words given in Jeremiah 29, 11 that I quote to us often. They're so appropriate for these circumstances. There in Jeremiah 29, 11, we're told, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are trustworthy. Help us to yield, yea, even surrender everything to you. Because you are kind and you are trustworthy. And you are worthy of our surrender. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.